Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Model-turned-skin-entrepreneur Ryan Shenning was living in Paris and pursuing a career in law when a chance trip to Japan changed the course of his life. While there, Ryan was introduced to activated charcoal skincare products. That's right, charcoal. Ryan was inspired to start his own activated charcoal skincare business called The Black Group, B-L-A-Q, The Black Group. Their products are unisex and promise to erase the evidence of late nights, city living, and one too many wines through using their activated charcoal skin products. Within just a few months, the business was inundated with so many orders, I'm talking about stacks, that Ryan moved back to Australia to work on the project full-time. Since then, he's created two more brands under the Black Group, Generation Clay and Flight Mode. I want to ask Ryan how growing up watching other successful entrepreneurs to navigate their businesses, how that influenced him, how seeding his product to influencers around the world and communicating directly with his target market has made Black the success that it is. And I'm really desperate to understand how Ryan bulletproofs his business in terms of systems and workplace practices in order to be able to satisfy the huge demands of those people who sell millions of his products around the world. That's right, systems and processes. So let's get into it. Ryan Channing, welcome to The Mentor. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good, thank you. Okay, we've got uh, B-L-A-Q, black. Black. It's sitting yeah. here right in front of me. Um, clearly it's a, it's a play in words, or does it mean something? Uh, no, it just references, so black was our first uh, product range that we launched under the black group. Um, it's all focused on activated charcoal in skincare and oral care. Um, so trying to, you know, I've got a bit of a rack around in intellectual property law. Um, trying to figure out some kind of word that was similar to black that could be used so around you the world. Trademarked it. So trademarked, yeah, something that could be used and yeah. trademarked that wasn't taken, and that was the spelling that we went with. And black is cool. So yeah. um, uh, let's go back. I mean, how old are you now? I just turned thirty. Thirty. Wow. Okay, I thought as much. You're very young, um, but you've obviously do, been very successful. And what I'm looking at looks pretty well put together. And I did a little bit of research on mm-hmm. you uh, last couple of days, and uh, from all accounts, you, you're smashing it. Um, but I want to go sort of right back. I want to understand how you got into this. You said we a moment ago. Um, is that you and your team or your partners? Me and my team. I always like to reference it as we, not yeah, as yeah. I. So it's team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my team, you know, like I couldn't do this on my own. Um, and but, did, but did you? But, but, but did the you, original idea for this came came about myself. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, let, we'll go, let's go back to uh, young Ryan. Uh are you a Sydney bloke? Where are you come no, from? No, I'm from Perth originally, the, the Perth other side guy. of the country. Which yeah. part of Perth? So I'm from a place called Ocean Reef. It's just above Hillary's on the coast there. Wow, that's not really Perth. That's past Scarborough. Yeah, just past Scarborough. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of Sydney, like it's only 20 minutes it's up like the coast. It's like Palm Beach or s- <laughs> yeah. sort of, but it's out of Perth. Yeah, and, it's a nice And 30 suburb. years ago, that's that's a long way out of Perth. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I remember like maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when Alan Bond built the uh, hotel in Scarborough there, that, like, that was a big deal. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, that's going back. Yeah. Um, that was a big deal then. And uh, I remember staying there a couple of times with my, my second wife, um, which was a bit of fun. Um, so here we've got a, someone from Perth, um, outside of Perth, born 30 years ago. When he turns 15, he's going to school around there somewhere. Um, what's the deal? Like what, what were you thinking about? What were you planning on? What were you dreaming about? What, what, did you dream? I did dream. I always yeah. knew that I wanted to do or be an entrepreneur when I was older. I never really? worked. I, I have obviously worked for other people. And while I've worked there, all I could see is 
the person at the top, what they were doing, how they were using, not using, but how the employees were working for their greater good. Oh, maybe. using. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, that's one word you can use. Um, I mean, oh, so, but, but, like, what influenced you to be that way? I mean, I don't understand, like, I mean, we're going to go through your history as we go along here, but, like, I often wonder to myself, why does someone like you mm-hmm. end up being successful at 30 years of age with your own product? And there's lots of people trying to do this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, from what I can see, more successful than most people. What is it that influenced you back in that period? Like, like you're 15, you're running around as your mum and your dad, I mean, or as your uncles, your aunties, was, this, was someone who was iconic you looked up to in your family or a friend or what? What's the deal? I think the age when I was probably turning like 10, 11, 12 was kind of like when the internet was really just taking off. So, you know, I know that I was like doing my own little entrepreneurial things. I had lots of little projects when I was a kid that I'd do, like I'd make stuff and sell stuff or I'd, when eBay first came around, I was like importing like um, designer fashion from Italy that was like, you know, the stuff that they'd sell like on the second racks or you go to the, how How old was I? I was probably like 13 or 14 when I was doing that. You were importing stuff. So I was importing like luxury clothing from Italy and France and like selling it. So you were in clothing? Yeah. And I was like, oh, because like I had a bit of a modeling background when I was younger. I liked fashion. Um, I was interested in skincare and I was just like trying different things. And But that's that, pretty unusual for a 13-year-old boy yeah. to be interested in fashion, I think. I can't remember. Me, that was that far back for me, I can't remember. I got four sons uh, around your age, a bit older, younger as well. Mm. Um, I don't remember them being interested in fashion. That's, that's an unusual thing. In fact, I had a mate. It's funny. I got a mate um, who when he was, you know, young fellow, um, right through to, the, to, to this very day, but when he was at school, Everyone else out there playing footy and stuff like that. But what he was really interested in was magazines about boats and, um, you know, uh, luxury items. Not, mm-hmm. not so much fashion, but luxury items like beautiful cars yeah. and things like that. And he's made a career out of it and done quite well for himself. Um, and it's interesting that, you, you know, like for someone to be passionate about fashion at that age, yeah. um, you're, been, you're this is effectively fashion in terms of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, um I wonder where people get get that sort of instinct from. Like, I mean, what influenced you, or did well, you just, I just grow up think that way? Like, I know that I was at school. Like, I did well at school, but the things that I like, I knew that I wanted to own my own businesses when I was older. Um, that's the route that I wanted to go down, and I wasn't getting that information from school. So, to start learning about like how to set up a bank account for a business or register your ABN number and stuff like well, that. Well, you think about this stuff at school, yeah, and yeah. you think about that stuff, and you don't get taught it. So it's something that I had to start teaching myself at a young age and that's what I found interesting, you know, like I would do maths at school and, you know, all the other subjects that you can take at school, but that wasn't setting me up for the direction that I wanted to go in. And I knew that I wanted to go down the direction of being an entrepreneur and a business owner. So I started to teach myself how to, you know, those first initial steps of like setting up a business and how a website's made and all those kind of things when I was really young and when the internet was just taking off. How so, websites, that's yeah. fucking mad. Like, mm. uh, when I think about it, like, to me, that's pretty unusual, mm. right? I mean, you might think it's normal because it's you. <laughs> but for me, it, I, in terms of observing lots and lots of young men and women, um, that's a pretty unusual sense at a young age, let alone actually going out and doing something about it, yeah. like, in, as I said, importing stuff from Italy. I mean, when you say, what were you importing secondhand? Uh, it's not, so you know when, like, you go to, what's it called here, like the DFO, when the clothes get yeah, sent yeah, yeah, to yeah, that, yeah, but, yeah, you know, yeah. like, when you're looking at designer items, things um, right, like, the, they get, I go to Florence every now and then, and there's um, there's a big beauty expo there that I go to, and there's, like, this place that you go, like, an hour away, and there's, like, all the Gucci stores and stuff there selling, like, the end-of-season stock for, like, yeah, yeah. 70% off. Yeah, so yeah. I would import that. 
um, and sell it on eBay and turn a profit Here in on Australia. It. Yeah, in Australia. And we would ship it overseas as well at that stage. But it was interesting. Like eBay, I think, was like the very first stage of like that e-commerce taking off. Yeah, totally. They were the first people doing that. And so then, that's 15 years ago or so. Um, 15 years yeah. ago, I remember um, – well, 15 years ago, I remember that the Packer family um, – Alison Deans was uh, recruited by the Packer family mm-hmm. and they established eBay in Australia. Okay. Um, like, uh, And they set it up, eBay. Um, it was through a, another entity, but it was the Packers behind it, mm-hmm. along with Alison, and she was a CEO of uh, eBay. And eBay, I mean, eventually they sold it, but that's that's like, that was revolutionary in itself. Mm, yeah. They're setting up eBay here in Australia. And they did a few other things. They put Charles Schwab here in Australia, they did a few other things. Um, but your, to be frank with you, uh, your initiative is up there with the Packer family <laughs> back, back 15, 16 years ago when you were a young man. Um, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, do, but, but is there any parental influence? Was it? There was a bit of parental influence. My dad is a sales manager for WA and South Australia for Canon printing yep, company. Yep. So he's always been quite successful at work. Um, and then mum had, um, she was a hairdresser. My grandma's a hairdresser. My sister's a hairdresser. Mum had hair salons. So that was kind of like my first she experience into like actual business, like in a retail setting. So when mum was doing that, I would go in and help her with like setting up her website, her marketing to her customers, trying to increase their um, average spend when they're in store, how to get them to come back consistently. So did you know? she sit down with you and say, hey, Ryan, we want to get people to spend, like they're going to come and get a, I don't know, where are they going to get a haircut? Yeah. But we also want them to buy a comb and a hairnet and uh, some rollers <laughs> or and or whatever people buy these days in hairdressing salons. Yeah. Um, in other words, m- merching them. Mm-hmm. Um, did she actually, did she say that to you or did you say I to her? I said it to her. You said, it, hey, mum, why don't <laughs> we sell some Why are we shit? doing this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah really? So, so it's not from your mum. I mean, yeah. you, the, the platform to go and do this was yeah. your mum's business, but and you no doubt got that sense of hard work and all uh-huh. those sorts of things from your mum. I mean, you know, yeah. if I asked you now what qualities did you observe from your mother, for example, working in hairdressing salon, mm-hmm. what would they have been? I think the main thing that has I've taken away from my mother, my mother's very critical of me and things that are happening and what's going on around her, and I think that I've definitely picked that up and it's not always a good thing, but it's great that, you know, whenever I'm looking at, not generally with people, but if I'm looking at a business or the way that a process is being done in the business um, or the way that you hire someone or the way that something's been shipped, I'm always looking at it and criticizing. Is critiquing there a better, it critique, or criticizing? Critiquing. Yeah, in other yeah. words, doing analytical yeah, work and analyzing and saying, can I do there, it better? Is there a better way to do it? Yeah, no, so, so when you say critical, because like, let's be fair to mum, she maybe she wasn't critical, can be interpreted that mm-hmm. she was saying, Listen, Ryan, this is a fucking opalous. Um, yeah. As opposed to saying, look, maybe you could do it. Have you considered this? Like, was it that sort of um, hand holding, a sort of more gentle critiquing? In other words, <laughs> it was more like you should just do it this way. <laughs> yeah, well, she, well, she, but she would at least yeah. give you a suggestion. She would suggest what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She would say, do it this way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a mother to a yeah. son or a father to a son. Yeah. I get that. But, but, so, but do you do the same thing now? I do, yeah. Do you, do you see that as – and do you do it with whatever's presented to you? I do it with my staff and with my products and our processes and things like that. And I think, you know, probably when I started my business, it was probably I approached that the wrong way. Yeah, it's, it's all, something it's, that I've learned over it's all time about delivery, how, to, it? it's how all, to deliver it properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but the, the outcome is right. I mean, the, the, the end outcome, as long as you deliver it in the right way. So in other words, it, it fine-tuning systems and processes. Mm, that's it. It's about systems and processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, did your mum sort of say to you, "Well, give me an example where she would have said that to you"? Um, 
just in even like day-to-day life, like, or if I was going away on a trip, she'd be like, okay, have you thought about this? What's going to happen when you get here? This is the next step of the journey. How are you going to get a train there? Are you going to fly again? Are you going to stay there overnight so you feel more relaxed in the morning rather than going into your first day of something feeling tired and exhausted? Are you going to give yourself a couple of days to recuperate after a long trip before you go into doing something like that? That's interesting. So she mm. asked you questions yeah. or did she tell you? No, she would ask me questions. Yeah, she said, what's your plan? And mm. then maybe this is a better way of doing it. Okay, well, that's a sort of a, a version of mentorship, you know, like uh, mentoring someone is not about giving them answers, about asking the questions. Yeah. If they don't have the answer, you can suggest an answer. But... So, like, to some extent, she was mentoring you from a very early stage. But in hindsight, um, that process, um, if you can deliver it really well in a modern way, mm-hmm. today we've got to do things modernly, yeah. in a modern way, um, you've dragged that from her. You're, yeah, you're, you're doing the same thing now mm-hmm. with your own staff. Yeah, with my and staff. And how do they feel about that? Yeah, they, they appreciate it. Yeah. As long as it's delivered correctly um, and it's not something that has to be done immediately, it's more long-term kind of um, progression, it's something that they're happy to do. So if, if I was to ask you in a deep dive sense, um, which part of the business stream in your business, for mm-hmm. example, um, do you actually use this process? And like, Is it in systems and processes? It is in systems and processes. I think the kind of products that we produce, we consider them mastige. So What's that mean? It means that we're creating like a luxury product in mass production that's affordable to the everyday consumer and is still a good high quality product. So, you know, you might have your brands that are in David Jones and they may be selling a hundred units across Australia a week. Whereas in a mastige model where we are operating and selling to the US, we're selling millions of products of the same item um, every year. So when you're going to like that mass scale of production, there's so much to look at where um, you know, that brand that's just selling 100 items a week and David Jones may have someone in Australia completely making the whole product for them, turnkey in Australia. That's fine when you're only doing 100 products. When you're going to produce a million products, you really have to analyze, okay, where's the power product packaging coming from? Where are the boxes coming from? Where are we going to fill the products? What taxes are going to be associated when we move the product packaging from China to Australia and then deliver it to America? What's the best way to get it there. Is it going to be by cargo? Is it going to be by flight? Sometimes there's not much of a difference. If it's an urgent project, it might be better to bring In it. In terms of uh, dollars or in terms of uh, time? Time and dollars, yeah. So, so, so it's you, really you, like with that big, big scale of production that we're doing, um, as I said, we're going to get into the numbers of stuff that we've done over the past few years, but some of our products, we've produced up to 4 million units of that single product for America. And I think, as I said, when you're producing that level of product, it's really, you've really got to look at your supply chain and be analytic about what's going on there and how you can make a profit out of it. Yeah, so that's something worth exploring Mm. probably now actually Um, because lots of people think to themselves, oh, wow, I'd like to do what Ryan's doing Mm. and sell millions of products in a year to to the US market or the European market or Asia market, whatever it is, and um, most of them are totally naive and haven't got the faintest idea how to do it. And a lot of them actually aren't suited for it because they don't have the thought process. Mm. And the thought process is around... Probably, I mean, I often talk about systems and processes or playing defensively, and that is actually manualizing or putting into a manual and refining that manual over time, mm-hmm. but putting into a manual every single step of the way. That's every it. single step. Mm-hmm. All the little one percenters are the things yeah, that it fuck counts. up. <laughs> you know, is, is that right? Yeah, is that we, see, we have like, um, uh, we use a project management system called Asana that the whole team runs on. And when we launch a new product, there's like this one workflow that we have and it ticks off every single thing so it goes all the way through from me creating an idea for a product 
Um, then it goes through to like our graphic artists to um, mock up what that product's going to look like. Then it will go to our pricing team and they'll analyze the competitors in the marketplace that we want to compete against. We'll get the RRP off that. Then we'll work backwards with our margins and then we'll decide our cost of goods that we need to produce for. Um, and we've got that all mapped out all the way through from like that initial idea through to the finished product, like launching into a store or launching onto Amazon in the US. And there's so many stages within that process where things can go one way or another. It will be like, okay, we've got this cost of goods. Um, this is what we need to work towards to get our margins. Is the product packaging going to be made in Australia or China for that? And then it will, the process flow will go, go a completely different direction. So, so in your team, uh, let's say you're launching your product, let's yeah. talk about uh, – Let's talk, was it, which one of these products is a Generation Clay or Black was one of the first products? Black is the first one. So Black, we had a peel-off um, nose strip that like rips all your blackheads out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very visual on Instagram. A lot of people have seen it, I think. Um, so that was the first product. So when, 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 you were, when you were sitting down with your team, mm. probably a lot smaller than it is today. It was just me when I did that first okay. product. <laughs> you should tell everybody about, just before we move on, Asana. Did you use Asana then? Or we, we didn't. No, no. okay. Okay, but let's say, well, let's pick mm -hmm. Generation Clay up. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah. you, did you use Asana mm -hmm. for that? Yeah. Okay. Spell Asana to everybody who's listening because it's, it's a good system yeah. that's worth. A-S-A-N-A. -A. Right. And do you have to subscribe for it? You do, but yep. there's free it's a plans suite. and then the, as you need more features, you pay for them. And can you insert um, steps in there as well? Can you make yeah. amendments to it? Yeah. Yep. So just to quickly explain what Asana is to the So it's listeners. like a workflow management tool. So basically you can use it for anything from going through like it's just software. your daily. It's software, yeah. yeah. So it's a website that you sign up to. Yep. You can get apps for your phone because I use the app on my phone all the time. Yep. But it basically just allows you to create teams within your business. So like, for example, our Asana teams would be sales, marketing, e-commerce, supply chain, and then probably like our like external partners that we work with would be the main teams that we have within there. Um, and then from there, you can set up templates of what needs to be done as a process flow. So you'd normally like write, write out your processes in paper and then you'd convert it into an Asana template. And then from there, you would have like for a product launch, we'd have a list of like probably 150 tasks that needs to be done. And you can allocate, okay, competitor analysis is to be done by Kiki, our sales um, head of sales. She will then tick that that's complete and then that will alert the next person in the business who would be Katerina, our head of new product development, that she's got her cost of goods ready to go so she can start working with our contract manufacturers to say, okay, we need this product to be produced for 20 cents. Right, okay. So, And then in terms of the sourcing of all these people, mm -hmm. like contract manufacturers, graphic designers, um, shop drawing people to do the shop drawing, et cetera. I mean, do you outsource all that stuff or do you uh, outsource There's it? a lot that we have in-house. I prefer to keep stuff in-house because as a startup and the kind of business that we're in, like speed to market is really important um, for what we're doing. So I prefer to have as many people in-house. Um, and then stuff that's more project-based, um, we do outsource. So like if we're going to be showing at a consumer trade show in America, like Beautycon or something like that, we would bring in external partners to, you know, like design, I would call it a set, but it's called like an exhibition booth. <laughs> um, so you make it theatrical. Yeah. You put some theater into it, but that, that's what marketing is about. Mm. So we're just on Generation Clay then, I know this mm -hmm. is a trademark, but just on Generation Clay, which is a, a mask, is it? Uh, so it's a range of Australian botanical skincare products. So we're just actually about to expand that line um, in this year. So what's inside? So oh, inside no, is three of our Hero Clay Mask products. Hero Clay Mask, I like yeah. that. So these are unisex? They, or everything's unisex yep. that we do, okay. yeah. So what are we talking about here? So the first one there, should I tell you how these all came about? Yeah, totally. So yeah, this we, is like all of my tr 
products come from my travels. So the black product, um, I was on a skiing trip. I was going through Tokyo up to Nisikoi to go skiing. And I was in one of those like crazy uh, Japanese stores where you don't really know what's in there, what you're buying, kind they're of cool, like a Muji store. Um, but they're totally cool. Yeah, though. they're very, very cool. You can spend hours in there. And I was with my partner at the time and we found like this charcoal product. It had all these little pictures on the back. We had no idea what it, what they meant. So we kind of like took it back to the hotel room, tried to figure it out, did some Google Translate on it. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. You're meant to put it on your nose. Then you pull it off after 15 minutes and it's to remove all the gunk that's in there. So we did it and it was cool. Um, that's what launched the black range. So from the back of that, we put it on social media. Uh, we created some small adverts. And this is the time when you could do that on Instagram and social media. You can't really do that anymore. But three years ago, people believed what they saw on Instagram. They would purchase it. Now there's a lot of like question about trust and who's being paid to promote this. So I don't know if you could launch a brand like the way we, we did that. Um, so off the back of that, we were getting like $10,000 worth of sales a day on e-commerce. About three weeks later, news.com.au put it on the front page of their website we're getting probably like eighty to seventy thousand dollars a day of sales for about a week from that. Completely put us out of stock. <laughs> Had like thousands Thank of God. customers saying, "Where's my product?" And we're like, "It's been made. It will be there soon. Just give us some time." So a little bit of growing pain there. But I actually did that. I was um, at law school at the time, and the law school semester finished up in November, I think. And I was about to go over to work in Paris for the United Nations with DLA Piper and do a pro bono internship. So I had that three-month gap, and that's when I brought this product back to Australia. I reformulated it, rebranded it, trademarked it, um, and we had our first minimum order quantity run of 10,000 made and brought into Australia. So just took photos of it. It was a small investment. I probably did it for like two or $3,000 all up. I made the website myself. Um, did the ads myself. How old were you then? Like just started uni, so about 20? Uh, no, this was much later. This was like, when I was 20, it was only three years ago. So right. yeah, 26, years ago. Wow. 27. Yeah. So we did all that. I did all that work while I, just before I was going on this internship, um, went on the internship, got to Paris and I lasted probably like four weeks there. And in that time, you know, I'd been on the front page of news.com.au. Priceline picked up the products and then like I had a couple of friends that were helping me back here and they were like, it's time to come home. Like we can't do this without you. Hmm. Um, at that stage, charcoal was becoming like a really trending product in the skincare space. Um, so we're like, this is a great opportunity. We've got a great stack of money here from launching that initial product that we're not using. Charcoal is coming through like all the beauty editors were picking up charcoal, charcoal, charcoal. So we're like, there's no other charcoal brand out there leading the range. Like other brands had maybe a charcoal product in their skincare range or um, like a shampoo charcoal in their skincare range. So we're like, okay, let's try and be the number one charcoal brand for skincare in the world. And we've achieved that over the past two years with the number of products that we've shipped. I think we've got six SKUs in skincare for Black SK, Now. SKUs means SKU. pro, pro lines, yep. yep. And then we've got about three dental products at the moment. So toothpastes, um, biodegradable toothbrushes. Um, and then we've got another two products coming out in the next six months to tidy up that um, dental line. For black. Um, so if I open that black box, there's a whole lot of different products in there? There is, yeah. yeah right. I don't think there's any toothpaste in there because no, we're no out way. of stock. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so black yeah. was your first launch. First launch. You, know, you didn't run all these process systems that you talked no, about early on. not at all. Um, it was sort of pretty much uh, run by the seat of your pants and yeah. see what happens. And mm. uh, you did run out of stock, but, yeah. but you obviously recovered. Mm-hmm. And now black, is, is that one of your main uh, product lines? Yeah, that's one of our main product lines. So you're best known for black? Yeah. Uh, 
and you, obviously I'm going to talk about the other stuff in a second, but mm-hmm. you're best known for black. But um, since you've done black, because I, I, I want to get this into the people, into the heads of the people who listen to this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Our audience a lot of times think, oh, I would like to do what he's done. What they don't understand, though, is you just don't go off and do this because I don't want to get the misunderstanding you go off and spend a couple of thousand dollars and end up having a great product that sells yeah. 10000 a day. Mm-hmm. Um, over time, you have actually built systems and processes around yeah. it now. now it's quite well managed. Well, and I wish I used those systems and processes in the first place because yeah. once you're three years into a multi-million dollar company with lots of stuff, it's very, very hard to implement those processes and um, systems that can help you along the way. So there's like your ERP or inventory management system that needs to come into the business at some stage. If you want to grow and sell to US retail partners, you need something called EDI to be able to do that. It's a digital way of managing orders. Mm -hmm. So there's that, there's the project management tools, there's HR management tools. I think if I could give any advice to someone that thinks that they've got something that's got potential is to try and use those tools at the beginning. And you can do it because if it's just you, I think the subscription rates are like discounted and things like that. Um, but now, um, for our brands, we've got a really big push on going into big box retail in America at the moment. And without those inventory management systems, EDI systems and project management tools in place, you can't even accept orders from those retailers in Australia, uh, from, in America, from an Australian company. So they, really, won't, they won't give you the orders. No, because you have to have all this yeah, you complex to, yeah. IT integration systems yep. that they use in America. So, to integrate into their yeah. systems. Yep. So if we did that from the very beginning, and we wouldn't have had to do it 100% perfected, um, but now that we were three years in and needed that, it took us about six months and a lot of money to get those systems in place. So if you just, I mean, let's not put the um, names of the, Software, but yep. just just quickly explain the three functions that you just outlined. Um, so, you did a design function, which is your assigner. But what are the yeah. what are the other ones? Inventory management. So, inventory management is just like a lot of product packaging doesn't get made in Australia anymore. So, there's things that we do like uh, we've got some uh, dual sided charcoal face wipes for like removing dead skin and makeup that's on your face. So, wet wipes aren't made in Australia. It just can't be made cheap enough. So, when that happens, most things go to China. So, there's things like wet wipes. They're made in China. Um, boxes and things like that. Like if we're producing a million boxes in packaging, Australia, yep. packaging, like it's not viable to make it in Australia. It's much much better to produce it in China and then ship it into Australia. As well as things like um, the tubes that we use to fill our products with the glass packaging. Like I, I'm under an understanding that glass isn't made in Australia anymore. Um, so there's certain things that you've got to do um, to bring them into Australia. So if we're ordering a million bottles from China or like glass jars to put our products in. Then we're ordering a million pieces of product packaging for that jar to go in. Then we're bringing it into Australia and it gets filled in Australia and then it gets put into a carton and then a master shipper and then into a case pallet and then gets shipped off to America. You've got to be really careful with how you're tracking how all those products come in and what costs are applied to them and how much the shipping cost is and how much the taxes are when they come into Australia. And if you're going to use something like, I think there's a trade scheme called Tradex that we use because the products are coming into Australia, they should be getting the 10% tax, but because we're sending them straight back out to America, you can kind of use a system to get that put aside until that's done. Um, And you just can't track a million componentries that come together to form one product without something like that. So you, you, um, we're going to quickly go to the break and going to come back to this, but I, I think what I'm getting from this, like, is uh, this all looks all nice and pretty and um, you're doing very well, but, like, what's what's behind all this? What's this is a massive <laughs> machine. It's a massive machine. It's a so. massive machine. What um, Something that 
I think is interesting in this skincare space is that what's really helped us with our growth, like at the beginning, social media really played a big part in it. Now it's really turned to sampling for us. Um, and I know a lot of people do it. Like if you're a personal trainer and you've got a website, you can give away a free ebook. If you've got a gym, you can give someone one week free membership. So it's all about like letting the consumer try the product before they use it. And as well with like a skincare product, it's kind of hard to try, especially if you're buying on e-commerce because you're not in store, you can't put it on the back of your hand and smell it and things like that. Um, so a big part of what we do is product sampling. So we'll create little mini products of our things and there's lots of ways you can distribute them. We have massive partners in America that we work with to do that. So where that's, we, that's sort of a marketing thing. It's a marketing Let, thing. Uh, it's uh, to let's get, go to the break. I want to come back to it because uh, uh, the things I want to talk to you about is your, your use of social media. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about uh, how you assess the marketplace. In mm -hmm. other words, when do you work out there's a new product? I mean, you might get inspired by something you see like you did when you were in Japan, but mm -hmm. You probably pass that now. I mean, you're probably at a point where everyone was looking at you. Yeah. So, what's next for mm -hmm. you? Um, and uh, and I and I do want to touch back on the systems again because people I know who think that they can manufacture these things have no idea about systems and processes or the importance of it. That is, that's your value. Yeah. There's a lot of value in that. Mm -hmm. Someone wants to buy your business one day. Yeah. That's where the value is. So we're back with Ryan Channing, and I'm actually, this is quite a complicated, he has quite a complex business um, in terms of the layers, both laterally and also longitudinally. Um, he's obviously, he's a manufacturer. Um, he's To be frank with you, he calls himself a, a cosmetic business, I guess, but really you're an industrial company. Yeah. You're, an, you're a good industrial business mm -hmm. because you're manufacturing, you're packaging, you're shipping you're charging you're, yep. and uh, you've got, you know, you're designing. There's a lot of stuff makes you very similar to most industrial companies around the world. You're doing big volumes. So big volumes, I presume reasonable margins, but it's more a, a well-priced Yes, that's position. right. So yeah. just in terms of product and pricing, we know a little bit about your product. I'll come back to you and talk about your new products, but your pricing, where do you like to price? I mean, like in mid-market, top market, yeah. bottom market, where? So the way that we like to price is we like to, in the skincare industry, what our brands, they're, called, they're seen as indie beauty brands. So they're like the cool independent brands yep. that aren't owned by uh, Johnson yeah, & yeah, Johnson yeah, 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 or the big, the big companies yeah, yeah. that you want to sell your the company to later. <laughs> yeah, correct. Um, so, I mean, you're like, you're like craft beer. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're a craft, yeah. craft industry. But what we have to do is we've got to match their prices and still be cool. Mm. So our competitive and marketplace research is to go up against those products. So like our black charcoal toothpaste is doing so, so well on Amazon in America at the moment. Like Amazon is one of our main uh, revenue drivers for the products. Um, Can we I just talk about the pricing? Just, just yeah. like pricing? So, so pitching your price on charcoal. So and, and what are you pitching that against? So when you just, yeah. when you and your team decide 695 US, mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. 695 is the charcoal toothpaste, mm -hmm. where's your benchmark? What are you saying? You've got to be better than- what Colgate's selling it for. So we want to match- For normal toothpaste. Yeah, we want yeah. to match what the big brands so are So where doing. is that? Where is Colgate? Is it around the same? Yeah, I mean, around I the same, five or six dollars. Okay, so yeah. you're around about the same number. So Maybe a little bit higher. So you're not, you're not presenting any friction to a buyer based on price, no. okay? Then when it comes to the product, in other words, what's what is the proposition? So in other words, I can buy my toothpaste from Ryan's business for six ninety five, around about the same price I'm paying Colgate. 
what is your product feature that makes me say, well, I'm going to have to give this a crack? Yep. Um, well, obviously, we put our product packaging out there. That's the first thing that packaging you see. Is so packaging is yep. very important and being different to those brands. Looks and then cool. Yep. The thing is that those brands speak to everyone. So rather than go and try and chase every single customer that Colgate's selling toothpaste for, we tweak the copy that we use. So like our copy for the description of the product and the how-tos and things like that are just a little bit more fun and playful and engaging than what so Colgate would be. So you're to something more adventurous than yeah, me if I'm going to buy this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there some special feature about, is there, are there features within the charcoal toothpaste that are um, maybe less toxic? Yeah, or, totally. I mean, something, or actually give you whiter teeth, I don't yeah. know. But, so like our toothpaste is non-GMO. Um, it's got all like the parabens and things that Colgate would have in there stripped out. Um, so with most of our products, we do that um, with our brand partners in America, like Sephora, Target and places like that. They all have their own like green uh, guidelines that you should follow. Um, and they're all pretty similar. So all of our products kind of abide by those. And those big brands like um, Colgate, you know, they've been doing what they've been doing for 20 years. They're not able to quickly change or mm. adapt a product that quickly to, That's your advantage. to what the market wants. So yeah. can I ask you this, Ryan? So when, you're, when, you're, um, when you say you abide by the the values or the brand mm-hmm. spec yeah. specifications at your distributor. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about the consumers, more what the distributor wants because the distributor, they put on the shelves and mm-hmm. the consumer will buy it. Yeah. Assuming the packaging is attractive mm-hmm. and the price is right. Yeah. yeah. Is that right? Well, there's two angles to it. So obviously we try and do like, we take our pictures to these big box retailers that we work with and we say, look, this is what we're presenting. And we have to, like, they're the ones that decide if it goes into the store or not. So you've got to really angle it to them. But then you have to have your social and your press and your PR online to back that up. So you want basically, you want to present your products to the buyer. It has to be a good price because most stores know what their customers' RRP price is within. So, for example, if we're going to one big box retailer in America at the moment that we're trying to work with, they're saying, okay, nothing can be above $24.95. That's our customers won't pay more than that, so we've got to look at it that way. So we'll pitch to them a range of products that fall within that uh, price range that we know that we can make a profit on, and then it's up to us to make sure that before that buyer goes to pr- look at the range that there's already enough stuff on the internet from people and other brands and other publications and articles talking about those products. And once we find that they've been presented a good pitch from us, they can back that up with what they can see online and a strong social following that the placements will usually take. So they take a bet on you. That's the big yeah. box retailers mm-hmm. take a bet on you. Um, when you're building up the marketing, the marketing backup mm-hmm. to the pitch that you're putting to the big box retailer in the US, for example, what are you talking about here? I mean, you're talking about um, like two months worth of social media or you're talking about this is what we're going to put up on social media yeah. or this is our – we have this following of 8 million people. Mm-hmm. What, what are you talking about here? So something that we don't really have in Australia that's really big in America is a subscription box-based model of trialing products. I don't know. Have you no, ever we, heard no, about I it? Heard of no, I What is that? So it's basically – there's a whole range of them. I'll give you an example. So there's – I won't give any names of the people. It's quite easy to find out if you want to look it up online. But there's one brand um, and basically you go onto their website, it's $20 a month and every month you're going to receive a little bag or like an t- amenities kit bag like you get in on the airplane. And in that bag will be like five or six beauty products or skincare products that are like deluxe sample sizes. New stuff. New stuff every that you've never seen before yep. yet. So we work really closely with those people in America. Most of them have anywhere from like the small ones maybe have like 20,000 subscribers. Some will have up to like a million subscribers. So whenever we're launching a new product, we find it really important to get those products into those subscription boxes. Do you have to pay for that? You've covered the cost of the product being in there. 
you, but do you, you so you, we don't pay them a fee, but no. we give them products. So you contra. give them content, yeah. product content, yeah. and uh, so which they're not paying for, yeah, which is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. But obviously, you need to be at a certain stage to do that. We yeah, started yeah, doing that very small. Um, so we did it with some subscription boxes that maybe had ten thousand customers. So we produced the ten thousand free units for them, and then we've built that all the way up now to being able to do it for like one million unit runs. Um, but that's but just obviously a, like a little version, just a little like lip balm size kind of tube. Yeah, for toothpaste, for example. Like yeah, yeah, for toothpaste, like the one the dentist would give you for free. Yep. yep. Which it's very hard to get into that, <laughs> and you need a lot of capital to get into that. But well, I was going to say because like your this, packaging is really expensive relative mm. to the price. You're not getting a price for it, but mm. the packaging is quite expensive. I yep. mean, the product's only small, so mm. in content, mm-hmm. so you have to have capital to do that. Yeah, that's that's a big mm-hmm. deal. The first one that we ever got, I remember it was like I think it was for three hundred thousand minis of the charcoal mask. And we knew that the revenue from that would be successful because these brands work with like massive US celebrities. They get it published in every trade publication. So it's kind of like rather than going and doing your own social media push and your own press publication push, you basically can give these products to these beauty boxes and then they do so much press and publication themselves around the products that are going into the box that you kind of win off the success of that. It's hard when you're selling on e-commerce and Amazon and places like that. Customers, that gives them the chance to feel and use the product before committing to buying to a full-size product. And what are you backing up on that? So do let's say you put this little box out and it's got, I don't know, whatever it's, charcoal Mm -hmm. mask or something. Um, And then, you know, it goes out to a million customers on this, on this um, Mm -hmm. subscription um, business and then everyone says, this is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You, what, what's your backup? You've got to have a website. You've got to you have, have the website. You have to have the stock in Amazon yes. in America, which is the most important thing. Because like, Americans don't go to – well, for like larger items, like if they're buying like a $100 piece of clothing, they'd probably go like direct to your website. But for smaller like personal care items and things that are probably under like $20, $30, Americans will jump onto Amazon to buy those kind of right. things. And the risk you're taking is that um, it's extraordinarily, you think it's going to be extraordinarily successful. So you mm-hmm. buy build inventory of a million units mm-hmm. or something like that, yeah. build a website and bid as a flop. Uh, it hasn't yet. No, but, <laughs> but it, it that's a risk you take. It can, out. yeah, totally yeah, yeah. can. Um, but that's very, it's a very, very complex system that we've got to do those kind of sampling runs. And I think like if it was to look back at someone who is just starting a skincare range or a body care range or something like that, like that has been very important to us and it's, it's not something you can do overnight, but there's those opportunities for people to still sample their products. Like if you have a body wash range, like go down to your local gym and offer to put your products in the, sh- in the washrooms for free and into the showers or... Yeah, because they're before, looking for like, yeah, yeah. They're looking for product. And, you know, your customers it. are going to, the people in there are going to be aware of the product. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember at the very beginning, like when we had the charcoal wipes, we'd go and place them in places like barriers. Charcoal and, wipe. Yeah, charcoal wipes, so it's skincare wipes. Oh, you would take makeup off or something like that? Yeah, or? yeah, so these ones here. So it's just like a black charcoal skincare wipe. So when we first launched them, like we put them into a lot of the gyms around Sydney and things like so that. So you wash, instead of wash your face, you use this. Yeah. And then, so you're, you're, You've worked out your price, six ninety five mm-hmm. on the toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Um, you've used these um, platforms to trial the stuff out, mm-hmm. like little tubs, for yep. example. You've worked out you've got to, here's this is going to work, six dollars ninety five. Before you do all that, you've got to work out what your profit margin is. Mm-hmm. Your content has yep. to be costed appropriately because yep. you don't want to have to sell mm-hmm. some six ninety five. It's cost you eight bucks. Yeah, for sure. Um, you're well, sometimes backwards. we do at the beginning. So if we're launching a new product, we'll normally. In skincare and that personal care space, usually the minimum order quantity is like 10,000 units. 
So we'll know that, okay, cool, we want to make this toothpaste. It's six going to be sold for six ninety five. We're going to go mass market with it, but we still got to do our first production run. That first production run might come in at $5 for the toothpaste to be completed, and we're selling it for $6. We're not making any money on that. But we know that once we hit the scales of economy that we need to and we hit producing like 500000 at once, that that $6 can drop all the way down to like $0.70. Cents. The, the $5? Yeah. The $5 per, the purchase, co- 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 yep. the cost of? Cost of goods, yep, can, can drop. Can drop can that far? That far, yeah. Is but that I because you get... a lot of people gets... and they're like, oh, I really want to go and do this um, subscription box thing and did it. And I'm like, okay, what are your cost of goods sold? And they'll be like $6, $7. And I'm like, wow, that's we don't even sell some of our products for that price. But it's really, you've got to get to that mass production stage is when you start to see the real and, savings. And is it as simple as saying though, Ryan, that... You can do a million items, mm-hmm. and therefore it just drops because your manufacturer will say, "Listen, if you give me a million order for a million, mm-hmm. I'll do it for seventy cents." Mm-hmm. Is it that simple, or is it about you? Men- or is it? Engin- it's a negotiation. It? So we kind of go to them and we say, "This is what we need to produce it for," and then they um, will tell us if it's possible, what ingredient in the formula that may be costing too much that we might need to reduce or tweak to make it uh, work at that cost, so that we can offer it to customers at a great price. Um, and then once you have that order quantity as well, it then allows the contract manufacturer to go to their suppliers that supply the raw ingredients as well. And then they obviously like bid against what's on offer. So they'll say, we need two tons of pink clay for this clay mask run that we're doing. And they'll take that to three different companies. And then those companies will obviously put in their best offer. And then that comes back through to us eventually. So when anyone who's listening, I just, I just think, I mean, like in three years, three years, four years? Mm-hmm. Three years. Oh, we're not even three. This is an incredibly well-crafted and this is like beautifully built, this business, to be frank with him. Apart from the end product, it's obviously quite beautiful and works and sells and he's – and. Um, the business itself has you know, got good volumes, but it's actually, for me, I mean, as a business perv, I mean, it is beautifully crafted, the whole business and all the sales systems processes, the you know, concept, the ideation, the whole thing, like the way you market it, the way you test market, it's really beautifully put together. Um, I, I, one thing I want to know is, I mean, in the early days, you said to me, um, you're in Japan and you got inspired by something you saw in a Japanese mm-hmm. um, shop. What about today? I mean, today you've got to be a leader because you're no longer the the new guy on the block. Everybody's chasing your Mm -hmm. success. What Mm -hmm. do you do today? I mean, where does that idea come from now? Um, So what's the latest Inspiration for travel uh, always comes from my travels. So I've got to keep traveling. Generation Clay, which is Australian Botanicals, that came around on a trip that I was um, doing um, up in Hamilton Island. And then we... And my partner at the time went over to the Daintree Rainforest and I spent some time with the Aboriginal elders there. And they took me for through. Real? Like yeah, for, for real. It's a good story, but yeah. for real? Yeah, yeah, yeah for real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how the fuck do you get in? How do you spend some time with Aboriginal elders? It was just by chance. So we were with um, some people that had like connections with like the helicopter uh, business that was run out of cans. And they were like, oh, we'll take you up for the day on the helicopters. We'll just let us know where you want to go. And we went to like this rainforest national park place and they had like all these books when you got there about like these different ingredients. One was called Davidson Plum. The other one was called Kakadu Plum. I know. And I was like, okay, cool. These look like they'd work really well in skincare. And I was like, how can I learn more about this? And they're like, actually, we can introduce you to these people and they can tell you how they used to use it um, as their traditional medicine. So I had a chat with them over about three or four hours um, to get an understanding of what they were, how they were used. And then when I left that trip, I really brought that concept back about how they can be applied and used in Australian skincare. So, that, and off the back of that, you were inspired to, mm-hmm. to come up with the Generation Clay? Yeah, range. Yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. just just on that, how important is it 
How important is provenance, I should say, in terms of selling your product overseas that it is Australian inspired or it comes from Australian yeah. clay or what? I mean, how important is that story? They eat it up in America. Yeah, they love, yeah. <laughs> they well, love it. Just generally, I guess yeah. everyone loves our wines. Mm-hmm. They like our mm-hmm. skincare products, yeah. et cetera. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it's right. Yeah, Our products are more popular overseas than they are in Australia. So yeah, totally. Well, obviously limbs. people appreciate what yeah. our provenance. They mm-hmm. just think we're all pure and clean yeah. and everything like that, and, uh, which probably to some extent is, is correct. I mean, mm-hmm. they've all had bad experiences everywhere else in the world. And then now, though, how do you get inspired? That, that was that was for Generation Clay. Mm-hmm. What about Flight Mode? I'm looking over here. Flight Mode, your looks like a new – that looks pretty cool, like a yeah. box. So that's our newest range of skincare. So Flight Mode came from traveling um, and being on the plane all the time and having the harsh climates that I was subjected to from traveling and then being in dry climates like in Perth, Western Australia, there's no humidity on the air. So it's a high hydration skincare range. This is much more curated, this line about the formulas and the ingredients. It's a little more high price point, um, this range. Is it, but is, are you looking for, are you selling into people's um, egos and or, I mean, I'd like to look good when I get off the plane. Mm-hmm. Is that like about um, like a sense of playing to people's need for to be appealing and all that sort yeah. of stuff? I mean, which you, is you, different for each brand. Like I think the way that we've created each brand is that now that we've got this brand portfolio, it allows us to like diversify our offering and target different consumers because we have a specific consumer for black. We've got a specific consumer for Generation Clay. So the Generation Clay consumer is like probably a lot more younger than the black consumer, um, more worried about what's in the product. It's got to be clean, not tested on animals, which none of the products are tested on animals anyway, but it's got to be vegan friendly. It's got to not have certain ingredients on it. So this one really goes after that. Black's a bit more mature. um, And then flight mode's much more inspirational. So when we've got new products coming through as well and ideas for products, we might say, okay, cool, that's a good product. Now we've got the brand portfolio. We can actually say, where does that product slip in best? Like, under which brand will that product slip in best? And where to next now? I mean, what's what's? I mean, you look like you've covered a fair yeah. bit of ground. And I just want to make an observation too, by the way, for everyone who's, who's I mean, this guy, um, he's typical of entrepreneurs, and I'll tell you why. Throughout the whole conversation here today, he's been checking his emails, um, and he's actually hasn't missed a beat in terms of his conversation. So he's able to um, log into his because his screen keeps going off, so he puts in his code. <laughs> Um, I've been watching him um, and he's reading his emails and not missing a beat in terms of my questions and his answers. And not only that, he hasn't even, he has managed, I don't know, I mean, this is a sort of a skill that people acquire, but he has managed to not even lose eye contact with me. So it's very clever, and but it's actually pretty typical of an entrepreneur. So they're doing three, four things at once because mm-hmm. time's, time's the most There's important only so element. much time every day. There's no time. There is enough time you get burnt out, though, if you spend too much time totally, doing something. Totally. <laughs> and uh, but you're, and I, I do want to ask you about where to from here, but I, I, I just need to tell people this because if you think that you're going to go off and do millions and millions of uh, products and, and or various lines globally and that, uh, you know, and you think Ryan's just sitting back, how good is this and making a fortune and spending time on aeroplanes and enjoying yourself, you've got another thing coming because that's not how these people roll, Correct. Not at all. <laughs> totally the opposite, yeah? Yeah, it's not fun. Like I have to say, like over the past three too years, much sometimes. there's a lot of pressure in this. Like I've definitely had like my own mental health time. issues, but like the past three years have been tough. There's you, been well, times where I've been like, it's going to be easier to walk away from this. Tough, but <laughs> Yeah, good. rewarding at the same time. You're, you're doing it so much. Totally, yeah. but at some stage it's going to it's gonna fry yeah. you. You know, so yeah, if you're not careful, you've got to manage your work life balance really carefully. So what do you do from here? Like... Uh, 
I mean, do you sort of start to flirt with a, a partner, a big partner? That's what's happening now. So the first thing, we'd had Black for about a year. Within that first year, L'Oreal Startups Incubator Hub approached me there in Paris. I just left Paris, wasn't too keen on going back. Um, so that was the first interest that we ever had. So I don't know exactly how that program would have worked, but I had to go and spend a year with L'Oreal in Paris with my brand to get the ball rolling there. So I would presume that it would kind of be like a one-year handover where they really get to know my business. But they're doing due diligence on yeah, you for a year. Yeah, they do due diligence yeah. for a year. So they get you there, understand the brand, and then they make an offer probably whether they want to take you in. To me, no. Yeah, no. So we didn't do that one. Uh, then after that, we looked at investment from Australia. Um, and the reason I'm talking about this investment is, is because to take this brand, like our brands to the next stage, capital. you need so much capital. Yeah. Like, well, give, give everyone this, a bit of an example what you're talking about here. Yeah, you're so not talking wanna, about hundreds of thousands. No, we're talking millions of dollars. Like, um, so we want to go into big box retailers. So we want the dental range to go into CVS or Walgreens in America to compete against Colgate. We want the Generation Clay brand, which is expanding to a whole range of uh, skincare products, uh, moisturizers, sunscreens, things like that. We want that to go into Target in America, which we're working with them now. But the amount of money that you need to do that, like Target has 1,900 stores in America. You need staff to go in and check those stores. So that's like 20 staff on the East Coast, 20 staff on the West Coast at least. Like you can't get that money here. Yeah, so we had interest from um, a company in uh, Sydney that has probably five or six skincare companies under them at the moment and a few different investments. They were very interested in the company. And then when it came to it, like the amount of money that they could give us was just like not what we needed. It was probably like $800,000. Um, so that had, that wasn't accepted either. So at the moment, we're currently working with our first um seed funding in America. So we're hoping to get that over the line in the next three months. We just explain to people how you do go about that. I mean, yeah. who, 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 who runs that? Who's the book runner for you? Who runs it for so you? So I've got like a, there's kind of like a middleman that I use. So yeah, he's yeah. been following what I've been doing for quite some time, um, kind of pushing me in the right direction. This is what you need to get. You need to have this much year on year growth. You need to have these kind of processes and systems in place to get them interested. Processes and systems. Yeah. Listeners, get it. That's so it's important. It's so important, yeah. Because it means so you're not going to fucking fall over. And then as well, if, if you've got those processes and systems in place, if something isn't going right, say you didn't meet the sales that you needed to one year, you can easily explain it once those systems and processes are in place. It's yep. very hard to explain why something went wrong if you don't have those in place. Yeah, and you want to be able to see that you know why it happened and that you're going to be able to resolve it for the next financial year. Yep. And an investor wants to know because they make, mm. they, they, the moment they agree on the amount of money that you, they think mm. you're worth, the next thing to do is to spend the next six months trying yeah. to work out why it won't reach those targets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all they're trying to do is look at yeah. where's all the risks. From that day on, mm-hmm. they're looking at the risks. And you can convince them that the risks are manageable because you've got systems and processes. Mm-hmm. So then that selling that systems and processes, which is why it's so important, I think, by the beginning, talking to you about that stuff. People out there, you must get this part right. So tell me where you're going to end up. Where are you going to find your investor? What do you got? Um, so, yeah, as I said, America is where we're going. There's a couple of brands that are very similar to ours that have recently, um, you know, they've gone down that big sampling sales direction and then leveraging their Amazon and e-commerce stores against that. Um, so really the end goal, if you, it depends really. I enjoy doing this and I can create more brands and that's fine. And But the end goal for me is to, you know, create an amazing brand, have it used and seen by millions of people and hand it over to one of the big beauty companies to... Um, take it as far as they can take it because somewhere 
like those big Johnson and Johnsons can take it further than I can take it'll, it. And it, at that stage, I'm not too interested to be that involved with it anymore anyway. Yeah, because it'll kill you. Yeah. They're, they're a machine. Machine, yeah. And they've they just got thousands of people mm-hmm. globally. That can and this is what they do. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, otherwise, I mean, it's great to think that you can do that sort of stuff mm-hmm. for 30, 40 years. Yeah. I mean, that's something you have to be prepared to do in a slower build. Mm-hmm. If you're going fast, and you have to do things fast today. Yeah. At the end of the day, the big organisations like you just you just quoted. I mean, I've been through this with General Electric. They can't do what you. They can't start it up. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for them to build it up just from the beginning from yeah. nothing. But it also becomes nearly impossible for you to run it. Mm-hmm. That's like exactly right. Yeah, that's the thing. There's a certain level where it's better for me to hand it over to, yeah, the, to them to run. And you can and you might say as a consultant or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Uh, Ryan, we're going to run out. We have run out of time, and I could talk about this stuff for hours. Um, and and you've got to. Bloody good business. This is quite fascinating to me, but I'm going to be watching with a lot of interest as to where you mm-hmm. take this. But do you have a question for me? I do have a question for you. He's got his iPad out. And he's been looking at his emails the whole time. So and I respect this that. is something that I picked up really recently, and I think we touched on it just a little bit before because I said to you that I couldn't get the money that I needed from an Australian investor like I could get it from an American mm-hmm. investor. So my question to you is, for an Australian startup, what's the biggest difference between a US, invest, a US investor and an Australian investor? There are very few Australian investors. In your business case, we're not talking about high net wealth. So mm-hmm. We're talking about funds. Yep. There's three or four of them really mm-hmm. here that are active, particularly active in investing in businesses at your stage mm-hmm. of, of growth. But ordinarily, if they do a fundraise, like they go and raise a fund, we're talking about they might raise $200 million. Let's say they've got to put $20 million into your business. Yeah. 10% of their total fund into your business is way too much. Yeah. So you've got less takers of your, your business. In other words, there might be three who would like invest in you, like someone like uh, Blackbird maybe, um, uh, Airtree Ventures, those sorts of organisations might invest in your, your business. And assuming that they even like your product lines, in other words, they like beauty yeah. or these sorts Fit, of products. That, what they're doing. Yeah, they might not generally take that view. But let's say they do. Because they have choices and they can do whatever they want, the first thing they will do is they might agree with you day one, your enterprise value, mm-hmm. assuming they do, which is rare, but assuming they do, they'll spend the next six months trying to work out how to reduce that value because they know they've got the whip hand. And what they're trying to do is manage, understand how you manage risk because they cannot afford to lose money on any one big investment, like a big investment because it's beats into the fund too big, too much. So therefore, in the US, it's totally different. There's a lot of money around the US and to be frank with you, they're actually desperate to make their investments. Yeah. It's a bigger race. And they also take a, a, a broader view in terms of their risk. So they'll say, we'll invest in 20 and two will work. That's okay. We'll lose 18. But the two that work have a big a big multiplier on them and that'll take care of the 18 that didn't work. Plus the return that, that those fund managers in the US are ret- uh, giving to their investors in their fund is far lower mm-hmm. and the performance fee that they take is far lower than the Australian funds do. Yeah. So basically it's a liquidity issue. There's much more liquidity in the US to invest in sorts of, your sorts of business than there is here in Australia. So therefore, if you can find the right middleman to get to the right people and if you can excite that individual enough, then I think you have far better off raising the money in the US. You won't raise the money in the US unless you're a global businesser. So they're not interested in investing yeah. in Australian business that only deals in Australia or maybe even Asia. They're looking for a global business. Um, and you could go to a, an end buyer. I mean, you could go to a J&J, J- Janssen Laboratories or Johnson Johnson, like, you know, the talcum powder yeah. people where they do lots of things. But you could go direct to them. Um, but probably at your stage, is a little bit too early. Mm-hmm. You, you probably need a, like a capital investor. A That's right. So I think capital. we'll do our first uh, 
Is it called? It's seed, isn't it? Yeah, so, and then you go into well, series you're, you're, A, B, you're and probably in a, you're yeah. probably into the next series. I mean, you've already yeah. you've done the seed bit yourself, um, but you might have your series A investor. And generally speaking, you're looking for a patient, what they call patient capital. You, you, they're not expecting return. Mostly when a, when when a fund or an mm-hmm. investor through a fund invests in your business. Say they did this at Wizard when I was I took Kerry in Kerry Packer in at first, and then I brought a whole series of other people in. Um, generally speaking, they're looking for. Uh, what they call a liquidity event, they're saying, we want to know when we're going to get our money back. And they build it into the agreement they have with you, shareholders agreement they'll have with you. And they'll say, liquidity event's got to be in five years. Mm-hmm. In Australia, they tend to be like two or three years, um, shorter shorter term. In the US, a patient investor, patient capital will say seven years. Mm-hmm. There's no liquidity event. Liquidity event means together we're going to sit and we're going to work out how we're going to make, how we're going to sell this, yeah. or list this on the stock exchange, or put it on the NASDAQ in the US, or whatever the case may be. Um, that's patient capital, longer-term investment. So the your investors who put usually in Series A put in patient capital. It's there for a longer period yeah. of time without any pressure on you for liquidity. So what I think from what I've seen is that like an Australian investor is more interested in like the profits that the company's actually turning over and what they can take out of that profit. Whereas They're the, taking a risk. Yeah, whereas the American investors are more worried about what revenue is coming in, how much the company's worth Growth. overall and how much that can grow over yep. the next 10 years. So yep. they're looking at, okay, the company might be worth $20 million now. We bring in different funding raises and we build that up to a $120 million company over the mm. next seven years. And that's when we exit and that's how we make our money. That's right. Whereas and the Australians are more like, okay, we need to see we need to return. profit every year that we can draw out of, which because the Americans don't seem to be interested in. People invest in the funds in Australia like they're just high net wealth people and they've got choices. They can go and put money in Westpac and get a 5% return fully yeah. franked. So when a venture capitalist here in Australia goes to raise $100 million to invest in business like you and they do it in Australia, the people they're talking to are the same high net wealth people and they're sort of saying to them, well, we do want some return. We don't necessarily want 5% fully franked like we would at Westpac. We might want 2% plus we want some upside growth. Mm-hmm. So 2% means your business has got to be at least be making a profit. Whereas in America, it's totally different. Americans say, let's just, just triple the turnover. That's all they want. <laughs> and, we'll, and we've got growth. Yep, and uh, and everybody's like revaluing, revaluing, revaluing. I mean, there's co- companies in America which have never made any money. Yeah. Ever. But they're worth they're billions worth of billions dollars. billions and billions and billions. Um, and it's just a different mindset over there. But more people, more money. Liquidity, as I said, liquidity is a big game. My gut feeling is um, you'll understand this stuff Pretty quickly, um, I, it's your business, but you'll just like you've nailed your all your systems and processes and all your marketing and all your trialing and all your distribution and all your branding, you've done this in three years. My gut feeling is you'll know more about this than most people within a very short period yeah. of time. Don't rush. You'll find the right outcome as long as you've got a good middleman. I think US is the place for you. Just bear in mind your life will be different once I know it's going to be very different because they will put pressure on you yeah because so you think there's no pressure on you now my first meeting with them and they said are you happy to be our slave for the next three years yeah well that's sort of what it's going to be they're going to if you think you're working hard now you're going to be working hard and accountable to somebody else and there's a couple of years in that I would say just be prepared for that but you know this is all heading towards the right outcome Mm -hmm. and uh, that's the best you can do Ryan I'm very very impressed with what this young Australian guy has done here, he's 30 years of age, is brilliant. Um, I'm very impressed which stage you're at um, and where you're going to from here. I'm, I'm dying to follow you um, and I really want to watch what, what you do. Um, look, there's so many people launching these products, beauty products. I see like, I mean, I see the like one a month at least mm-hmm. and very few of them ever do, any well, do very well. And they don't understand 
the complexity that you're talking about. They just don't understand it. Um, but you've nailed it. Well done. Thank Thanks you. very much for coming in. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it.